exited host mode. We are out of host mode, ladies and gentlemen. We are go for launch. We are in the zone. We are all over the place. All right, we're here. We're, f we're here, folks. Yeah, I'm thinking we're back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking we're back. I'm thinking I'm back. Hi, folks. We're back. We're back in Brooklyn. It's nice so far, although they say it's going to storm like crazy again today. I don't know if that's going to happen, though. Uh, people are still out, though. God bless them. I was out yesterday. We'll see what happens. How is everyone doing? How is everyone feeling? What is your dread, excitement uh, uh, percentages? Where are you at? What is your marbling? Are you are you dread marbled with excitement or are you excitement marbled with dread? Uh, shout off in the comments. Let us all know. Fifty fifty. I think that's the reasonable thing, honestly. Uh, just because, as I have said, everything is up in the damn air. Uh, I mean, there should be. You should always have more dread just because the trajectory as it is and the power differentials as they are and the culture as it is and the neoliberal subjects that we are, uh, the likelihood is that things will end in some sort of reaction uh, and reestablishment of the status quo. But uh, the hope really should be of how, how much has been built, what kind of structures or even just consciousness is built by, by the events and that is still way up in the air. Uh, that's the thing that people really need to get their head around is just how early this is. Uh, they have not done anything to stop this. Uh, the only thing, because people are trying to find a way to be outdoors again uh, that doesn't feel selfish. And also a way to assert humanity in the face of what looks like uh, a thoroughly dehumanizing non-recovery to an economic... Uh, collapse. So, uh, I know I tell everyone to stay off the internet, but I, of course, can't. I'm lashed to the wheel. I'm lashed to the mast. So I, I gotta go on there. I gotta look at this stuff. And it gets me all, uh, it gets me bummed because I see the things that everyone sees that make you feel despondent. You see the brands. You see the, the woke brands talking about how they love all lives. Uh, and how they respect uh, uh, a black culture, uh, regardless of how much uh, how many how much slave pro uh, produce is involved in their their company's bottom line. Uh, you've got D. Ray and Obama out there trying to create some sort of touchy feely uh, compromise for everybody, uh, and you've got things like those white people at the, with the protest literally bowing down before black people to ask them to forgive them for racism. All of it is wildly, wildly cringe. 
Uh, and so I don't blame anybody for feeling that cringe. Uh, because, you know, given the situation we're dealing with, given the, 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 the in real time collapse of the entire economic, political, uh, and political order of this country, uh, a lot of people wish that we had something else. Wish that we had a different movement. Wish we had a movement that was more, that was more specifically economically oriented. Uh, and to that, I have a joke. Uh, it's an old joke that I'm sure a lot of you have heard. Uh, and it's a physicist, an engineer, and an economist are on a, stranded on a desert island and the only thing they have to eat is a washed up can of corn that they found on the beach. But they don't have any can openers. I mean, fuck, I fucked it up. They don't have anything to open it. Uh, and the physicist says, let's put it in the fire and see if it bursts. And they go, no, that'll burn all the kernels. And the engineer says, no, we'll, uh, we'll get a piece of wire and try to pry it open. And then the economy sa economist says, all right, so Assume we have a can opener. That's the joke. The joke is that economists uh, demand perfect conditions even though the world doesn't work that way. And trying to figure out your politics on the internet has a similar effect of being an economist does, which is to fixate you on theoretical concepts that don't relate to reality. Uh, and the fact is, is that if you sit around waiting for that perfect class-first um, movement to emerge, it's not going to. It sure as shit isn't going to emerge off the internet. It's not going to emerge from people battering their arguments down to perfect razor sharpness and then using them in battle uh, upon the, on the planes of discourse. And then enough people are going to come around to your point of view that everyone decides simultaneously to act on uh, this new idea. That is, I hate to say it, a liberal way of thinking about how change happens. You go to war with the army you have, as uh, Donald Rumsfeld said, and the army we have right now is an army that was roused from slumber by the grotesque and uh, public violence of police, specifically uh, violence of police against uh, blacks and minorities, because black and minority communities are systematically uh, disadvantaged by capitalism, uh, need to be, and as such need to be more policed, need to be more controlled. Uh, and that means that that alienation that we all feel towards the system is more keenly felt uh, and there are more layers of, uh, of and disenchantment from political and uh, economic authority than there are more broadly throughout the, the culture. Uh, because there's other things that people have to grasp onto. There are other ideas. There's the flag. There's, there's uh, there's the political party system, all of which give people a sense of some sort of control over this stuff that is much harder to feel when your only real interaction with the state is through its most violent, stupid, evil fucking uh, agents. And so, in a country of neoliberal atomized subjects, that was always going to be the most likely place for sparks to fly. But it doesn't mean that it has to stay that way. And I think that's what people who get locked into the internet analysis machine miss is that there's nothing that says that this has this movement this this uprising whatever you want to call it has to maintain narrowly focused on issues of police uh, police misconduct or that a a police reform agenda can't be the leading wedge of a new 
movement that is broadly uh, challenging to capitalism. Uh, what are the and and I think some of the proof of that is that we have already gone in the span of a week from the vacuous anarchist demand to abolish policing, but abolish police, which is meaningless in in a current in a capitalist system. You that is there is no more perfect definition of putting the cart before the horse than that one. That is that that's that's the kind of thing that withers away as a state loses its coercive class character. You don't do that first because you still have a capitalist economy and you have a capitalist society. But now you're already seeing that turn that that sort of adventurist uh, uh, anarchist slogan being refined into an idea around ideas around defunding and disarming police, which is an actual concrete agenda that would have actual concrete effects, many of which are going to would be challenging to capitalism, significantly so. Uh, because you know the managing these these public spaces, managing these these uh, urban centers that are now the only place where America's uh, elites and the world elite can can sink money in uh, in, in safe investments, that's all dependent on police power, uh, and the degree to which austerity has ravaged the budgets of uh, municipalities and cities and made it harder and harder for people on the margins to survive. Uh, that money has not just gone away, that money has gone to the police. It has been a tidal shift of resources from from social services to police. You've got police taking up over half the budgets of a lot of the big cities in this country. Even a city like, like Los Angeles has wildly fewer cops per capita than New York does, about half as many. Uh, and it still, it, it still takes over 50% of the municipal budget. A, ma a significant reduction in the number of number of police, the number of armed police, and the amount of money spent on policing, by definition, is going to be a, a retidal shift back towards, uh, towards, or it can be anyway if it's directed that way, towards social services. Because unless you're cutting taxes while you're cutting, uh, unless you're cutting municipal taxes while you're cutting police budgets, and no one is calling for that, they better not be, then. That money has got to go somewhere, and it can go to somewhere actually fucking productive that actually creates, uh, you know, community uh, durability, viability, and autonomy, and uh, an ability to to you know, uh, to creates more importantly than anything creates a sense that the political process has meaning in people's lives. The idea that they can actually get something from the state, get something from their city, instead of just getting a fucking gun to their head, instead of just getting told to move along, instead of just being policed. That it matters like actually something to be. There's a positive element to the state project that they that people can participate in. And the concerns about policing turning into a private uh, concern that is a real issue. You know, I mean, there's these. You can't fire all these guys and just expect them to just, you know, go work at McDonald's or something. Uh, especially while they're going to be rich people willing to pay them to be their private uh, police. But for now, anyway, private police do not have an authority to exercise violence at the level that public police do, that, that public servants do. And that's not something that, we, that will just change. That's something that has to be changed. And presumably a political, uh, political project and a, a political movement that is effective at the level of reducing policing would also prevent uh, some new uh, system of being, being imposed whereby private police have now the authority uh, to, to exercise deadly force that 
uh, publicly to. Uh, none of this is, of course, determined. None of this will happen one way or the other. Uh, all of it is determined by us collectively, uh, how we respond, how we act, and how we organize ourselves uh, in the face of, of repression. We're already seeing now uh, a shift in the level of uh, authoritarianism that is now being accepted. I mean, obviously you had Trump threatening to call in the cops, calling the military before kind of backing down on that. But today, a judge in New York State ruled that the NYPD can hold anybody that they hold that they that they arrest at a protest, no matter what it was for, they can hold them for more than 24 hours, which is a violation of uh, habeas corpus. Uh, uh, and that's so that they can get people off the streets, that they can kettle enough people in jails to uh, to prevent them from continuing to exhaust the cops, which is what they're doing right now. So we're already seeing the forces start to be marshaled, and the question is going to be how we respond. And I don't know how, but I just know that there's a chance that that we have a, uh, where there is a mass disenchantment. The fact that they, the fact that a police station got burned in, in Minneapolis last uh, Thursday night, and that it was not responded to nationwide by some collective gasp, some collective freak out that we are gone too far, it instead helped ignite nationwide uh, protests. That says something, I think. And uh, we don't know what it is yet, but there's, there's something in the air, as they used to say. Uh, the likelihood is that uh, as the quarantine is lifted, as people are able to go outside, certainly as public accommodations open up, uh, the degree to which people are willing to put time and effort into something like protesting is going to go down. Uh, and there's going to be a subsequent lack of uh, a reduction in, in uh, the number and size and, and intensity of protests. But you can't discount what response are going to come from the overreaction of the police and of the state, which is also happening at a alarming rate. There's a dang Cheeto in the White House, folks. Can you believe it? And my, my, my honestly, my greatest hope here is that is that the segregation of American life that makes working class activism so difficult and working class mobilization so difficult. The fact that there is this uh, genuine stratification, not just by class, but specifically by race uh, in this country, that, that stratification creates this entire complex of anxieties and neuroses around race that are then played out in public. Uh, that this could actually that this process, that this this protest wave could help break that down to a degree, uh, to to make the possibility of to make people feel on both sides uh, of the divide that there is cooperation possible, that there is a common interest, that police uh, that the police are really there to fucking at the end of the day control us all, and that our awareness of their coercive and authoritarian power over us 
is uneven and often depended uh, dependent upon race, but more than anything dependent upon uh, class, by what neighborhood you live in, by what the police assume of you when they come and see you. And, and it's harder and it's harder and harder to uh, quarantine these 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 thoughts. Is that why everybody was posting David D's cartoons today? Did he die? Did the fucking chemtrails finally get him? Was it chemtrails or was it GMO corn? Goddamn, RIP to a real one. Uh, I gotta say, everybody uh, who was talking about like, oh, Biden's done for because Biden's a stiff and it's gonna be 2016 all over again. I mean, that might have. I honestly think Trump might have got reelected if the pandemic hadn't happened. But at this point, um, the real problem for Trump is that he is too stupid not to realize that when a thing like, for example, a bunch of mass protests against police brutality break out, that it is in his interest to appear a impartial mediator and to not appear to be on this one side or the other because that means people who are not fully committed to that side are more likely to blame him specifically. So that means there's probably going to be plenty of suburban white people who are horrified by what they're seeing and are dropping their monocles while they watch their TVs at, at rioting, who nevertheless see Trump as responsible, which is all his fault, or largely his fault, because at the end of the day, he is just a dumbass. I mean, sure, he's smarter than, you know, the average political reporter, but he is still does not have, I guess it's the self-control. He doesn't have the discipline to hold his fucking water, ever. Because as he imagines himself as the president, that means he is the embodiment of the state, and that means that if there is any, any, uh, any protest against state overreach that he can't spin to being about him, uh, and uh, or about people like supporting him, like the like the reopen protests were. He inst he his only reaction is to is to fully defend himself uh, and justify himself and do shit like send uh, pepper spray out uh, against peaceful professors so he can wave a Bible around. So. The, no matter what horrible shit comes in the next four months or whatever until the election, five months, six months, eight months, I don't, I literally don't know when, is it 12 months from now? Is it a year from now? Where am I? Who is it? I'm smelling toast. No matter what happens, it's all going to continue to stick to him. It's going to, it's like a big sticky chocolate covered baby rolling down a hill that was just mowed and he just keeps getting the freshly cut uh, lawn clippings all over him until he looks like Swamp Thing. And of course, he's not going to acknowledge the results, but I don't think it's going to matter. I think the uh, the stuff with Esper and uh, Mattis especially proves uh, that those of us who sort of assumed that there was not really any... Um, any real buy-in at the top levels of the military with Trump specifically, like Trump personally, uh, is is I think I think that's been borne out. Uh, I think that 
if Trump will probably say the election isn't isn't legitimate if he loses, but that only means anything if if he has anyone with guns to support that claim. And I think we're seeing now that, you know, barring some wild intervention, that's not going to be the case. Uh, because these guys, like I've said, are pretty unimaginative bureaucrats, which means that they, like most bureaucrats, most people at the high levels of uh, the media, uh, in politics, they have this childish belief and investment in the political process as it exists, which means that they don't see Biden as a existential threat, that they, they have not uh, drunk the Kool-Aid whereby Biden represents some sort of uh, communist attempt to take over America. He's, he's just another, he's just another member of the team. He's another, he's another professional political operative uh, who, who, in the political class, whose job it is is to manage the American empire. Uh, and he's surrounded by the people who have shown in the past their willingness and ability to go along with the program. And so that means there's going to be no taste at the top levels to go to the mattresses for Trump. They'll just say, okay, okay, Donnie. And then they'll, they'll tell him to leave. And because he's a big fat baby who more than anything is afraid of being humiliated, he's not going to even put up a fight. He'll walk out. They'll call his bluff and he'll leave. Now, what his supporters do is another thing, but my God, we're already seeing how fucking weak these people are. These people have fucking, every one of them has an AR-15, and what are they doing now? What are they doing with it? They're not even going to the cities to try to fucking do the boogaloo, for the most part. They're posting about how, if someone comes to my neighborhood, I'm going to shoot them. Okay, what if they don't? What if they don't come to your neighborhood? What are you going to do? You're going to complain. You're going to whine about it. There's a video of a, of a protest going past a bunch of suburban uh, crackers with guns and they couldn't even make eye contact, let alone even yell anything, even though they had fucking machine guns in their hands. I know they're not machine guns, assault rifles in their hands. So they don't have it, they're too soft. So there might be some isolated violence, but there's not gonna be some sort of significant uh, uh, put resistance. Now, if Biden gets in there and the economy continues to be in the crater, and coronavirus continues spasmodically and, and, and uh, civil unrest continues, now you might see at the state level, like saber-rattling at, uh, at the level of, you know, maybe a uh, secessionist movement, but honestly, that would probably just be some governor trying to be president in 2024, trying to put down a marker to be the guy to run against Biden. Because everyone's too soft, and more than anything, they're just not imaginative enough. At the end of the day, they're just fucking hogs. But, as, I, as must be pointed out, predictions are very silly to make at this point. Because all of these conditions that obtain right now that lead to that outcome, they might not obtain two days from now. They're sure shit probably not going to maintain a month from now. And so, who the fuck knows? It, it's going to be wild, baby. These are the most interesting times you could really, anybody has seen in a bit, that's for sure. But the, the thing with the, the army guys coming forward to sign of for the first time push back against Trump, I think is really interesting because uh, obviously it's absurd to say that their job is any different than the cop's job. Their job is to do in the rest of the world what the cop's job is to do on America's streets, which is maintain the rule of American capital and world capital. 
Uh, but the job has, those jobs create different cultures around them. Like for one thing, the actual military is much more diverse than America's police forces. Uh, and beyond that, the fact that they do this outside, the fact that they do this in Iraq and Afghanistan, it creates around it a ideological cocoon whereby the justification for doing that, the justification for lighting up a, a, a car full of, uh, of, people, of, of civilians in, in uh, Baghdad or Kabul, is to defend the home front, is to defend a certain idea of America that is abstract because they don't have to deal with it. Whereas cops, who more and more have taken that imperial uh, mindset and applied it to the country, this country, they don't really have that. They, they, they don't have that buffer zone that justifies their actions. Their buffer zone is much more likely. It's not protecting America against the world, it's protecting their suburb against the, the city, the bad city that they work in. And that leads, because it's closer to the bone and because that, that sense of threat is closer, it means that their uh, willingness to countenance authoritarianism and suspension of democratic processes is greater. Whereas uh, the army guys, the military people, sort of have a noblesse oblige about it. Now, of course, if crisis gets hard enough, they'll throw out the window. That's all goes out the window if the crisis becomes deep enough. But if it maintains, uh, if it's some political crisis, if it's merely at the level of politics, as in between Trump and Biden, between Democrats and Republicans, there is no constituency to back Trump. Because it's the same thing to them, generally, for the most part. Now, for the cops, that's a different matter. Like, if there's, a, if there's a military coup, it would be, if there's a crisis for the election, say, like, if, there's a tr if the election happens and it's truly uh, disputed on both ends and there's no accepted winner, uh, it's, there's not going to be a coup on behalf of either candidate. It would be sort of a Thailand-style deal where military comes in to, to adjudicate this political squabble because we in America genuinely think in both, on both parties that the military is a non-political entity. And that means that they have a credibility to do that that would be higher than uh, on behalf of one party or the other. Like if you had a military coup, if you have a, like, if you got 40% unemployment, 2 million dead, streets still uh, uh, combat zones between protesters or, my God, maybe even insurrectionary forces at that point, who even knows, and the police, uh, and there's an election that has an inconclusive result, um, I would say that a plurality of Democrats and Republicans would, would be relieved by a military takeover. But only if it was on behalf of the military and on behalf of the United States and not on behalf of one of the political parties. That's the distinction. I haven't done a Q&A for a while. If you guys have any questions, let me know.
So yeah, I'm done. I'm done with. Uh, I'm not going to try to prognosticate anymore today. That's the limit of the amount of predictions I'm willing to do because, like I said, uh, the conditions that are going to determine events are not predictable. Got uh, to. I got to put on my Ian Malcolm and Jurassic Park hat here. Never repeat and vastly affect the outcome. Well, there it is. Uh, Pelosi will not lose. Come on. She represents one of the richest districts in the country. Uh, could she be like ousted as House Speaker of the House? Maybe, but that's a different question. But the the real uh, the real moment that we know that this this phenomenon happening right now will have genuine, lasting impact is when it starts affecting labor. When people start coordinating work stoppages and uh, denial of, of capital intensive spaces. That, that's going to be the big shift. And that's happened before. Uh, I mean, 68 is the obvious example. Uh, but the thing that's on our side compared to 68 is that is that our political party, the left political party in America, is so attenuated and so removed from any kind of legitimacy for anyone besides, you know, the, the sort of the most neutered uh, suburbanites that their ability to sort of... Uh, negotiate out of a revolutionary situation the way that the Communist Party did in France is going to be also attenuated. But not necessarily. It could. Uh, I am very excited about Reagan Land. I cannot wait to read it. I really, it's, I, I gotta say, it's a bummer that Pearlstein doesn't like me, but, because I still think he's a great historian, even if he's, at the end of the day, a fucking lip. are freaking out about Blackwater in D.C., but uh, there's a lot... People don't realize how many armed federal agents there are. Like, uh, fucking Forest Rangers, Bureau of Prisons, uh, U.S. Marshals, um, ATF, Treasury. Uh, the Department of State has a security service. Like, there, there's armed guys in almost every one of those agencies that they could put a uniform on and throw on there. I'm not saying that doesn't mean that they... I'm not saying that they aren't uh, Blackwater. I'm just saying that absence of insignia does not inherently mean that they are. Like, yeah, there, there's fucking postal inspectors who have guns. The thought of writing a book, people to ask us about a book, and I gotta say, my big problem with writing a book is just the degree to which... The printed word really does feel dead, you know? I feel like fucking Egon Spangler. Print is dead. It just feels like everything is moving so fast now that the idea of 
like sitting down to write something that then people are gonna what? Read on their Kindle or buy in a bookstore? It just, it feels a little 20th century. <coughs> but that doesn't mean I won't do it. See, the thing I'm not, the reason I'm not that freaked out about Tom Cotton is that I really think the thing that elected Trump and the thing that has bound the Republican voter base to him is not any policy. It's not anything to do with specific, even, uh, really even political ideas, let alone policy. It is a style. It is an affect. Uh, and it is a mastery of politics as a spectacle. And all of these guys that people talk about as the heirs to Trump, they are trying to piece together, like out of the chicken guts of his public statements and shit and policies, a coherent political ideology. But that's not what get people in the door. You know, now that might change, you know, I mean, if, if crisis conditions persist, people might get, even Republicans might get much more fixated on uh, specific agendas. But, but if that doesn't happen, once again, we're in the land of if-then because of how fluid everything is. It's not going to be some fucking dork. It's not going to be some Harvard nerd with a giraffe neck. It's not going to be some wine-swilling dipshit from Missouri. Do you guys know that Josh Hawley is known for his wine collection and his, his own ophelia? The Yale... This guy is trying to be like, uh, like Lonesome Roads for the 21st century and the fucking George Wallace 2.0 and he's a wine-swilling fucking fancy lad who went to Yale. He's not gonna. It's not gonna pop. People talk about Crenshaw, but honestly, Crenshaw is more media savvy than those guys. But he's media savvy in the old way. He's media savvy in the way that appeals to the media. Trump does the opposite. Trump makes the media pissed, and that's what appeals to people because they hate the media. And I honestly don't see anybody on the Republican bench in office who fits any of those criteria. Like I said, if it's gonna be somebody in the political arena, my guess would be it would be some. Uh, red state governor who like starts trying to uh, threaten another Fort Sumter and does like a uh, like a 1860 style brinksmanship with the federal government over you know uh, health care mandates or you know federal spending or remittance of taxes or uh, uh, weapons enforcement or drug enforcement something like that And then that is what builds the support around him, is his status as the guy that people can rally around against the hated Democrats and party power. Way more so than anybody in the Senate. What? Oh, did you hear, did you hear that stem winder on C-SPAN that Hawley put on about, like, uh, about outsourcing? Who gives a shit? Fuck off. I mean, I'd put Don Jr. as a possibility before any of these motherfuckers. You know, like Don Jr. is sort of like the, uh, as the false Dimitri showing up during the time of trouble. Is organizing left-wing ideas in rural towns still worth it? Organizing is worth it. 
Organizing is more worth, any organizing is worth more than fucking going online. Now, obviously not, uh, 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 you know, not in a, uh, in a unconsidered way, not, not, uh, sort of, not flaunting, uh, not without consideration. I mean, it needs to be around specific issues and the more that it can be specifically around class. Honestly, one thing I would really like to see is if people do live in relatively downscale communities of that are more white that aren't that don't have a lot of minorities in them uh i don't think it should be that hard to connect the the treatment of cops by black people to the treatment of poor whites because cops kill a ton of white people every year but those deaths aren't felt at the level of race because there is not an alienation there's not a conscious alienation between white people in the united states as a political project whether it is for black people it stands in for oppression that is felt and the, the echoes of are still present every day. White people don't have that. But they are still oppressed and still shot and still abused the hell out of by cops to the degree that they, the cops can get away with it. And that largely has to do with their inability to fight back. Their lack of a, of a rich dad uh, or, the lack, or the fact that they got count, found in a town where the cops expect people to, they don't respect people and are, are willing to assert any violence against them. So if, if, if you have poor white relatives or you're, uh, you, you live in a poor white community, you're poor and white yourself. You don't have, I don't think you should have to do a lot of convincing to, to make people not like cops. And to think that instead of this being one more case of racial guilt from rich white people went to college, trying to make themselves feel better, this is an, a, a recognition of that the cops are there to beat people up who don't have any fucking money. Uh, I want to push back here. And sir, a lot of poor white people probably do deeply love cops, but not all of them. You're not going to get all of any group. But yeah, uh, 1905. 1905, baby. And the thing about 1905 is that it ended in defeat for everyone. Everything got rolled back. It was only meaningful in retrospect. And that is the thing I think that, that paralyzes people more than anything is, is that they don't want to risk their lives, they don't want to spend their time and money and energy and, and emotion around things that are going to fail because then what was the point? But it was doing it that was the point. It was always doing it that was the point. The, the, the journey to, to sound uh, like a fucking Hallmark card is the destination in the sense that it's not only where you get purpose and meaning, uh, it's also where you learn what to do. police thing, I understand the argument of wanting to have a maximalist position because you're negotiating, but 
it's really a question of who you're talking to, I guess, because you do kind of lose credibility when, as soon as you're challenged, you admit that you don't actually want to abolish cops. Because then people wonder, well, what are you, like, they, you look feckless is the thing. That's the danger with the abolish cops thing, is because anybody, nobody really thinks that. Nobody realistically thinks in the near term without some sort of collapse and re recreation of the American system. And even then, down the line, you can abolish police as a concept. Because, uh, like, Camden, Camden, New York, exactly. Like, what Camden, or New Jersey, what Camden did, they did not abolish the police. But they did fire their entire police force and replace them with people who did not get, uh, did not want to be psychopathic murderers. That wanted to help their, that actually wanted to help people. And guess what? Crime went down police violence went down, and Camden has not had a riot. And Camden doesn't have much demonstrations. So that's a model, but it's not abolition. But I think people want to feel that they're part of a revolution because, once again, they want to feel like they're going to win. And so saying something like abolish the police feels, feels radical and challenging in a way that means that their effort to get that is, is revolutionary. And that makes them revolutionaries. Uh, and I understand that you need that individually, personally, maybe, to motivate yourself. But that's different than it as an actual organizing principle for uh, a movement. Because you can you can do things like get take gun cops' guns from them. That seems such a huge fucking move. It's, and, it, and it would be so dramatic, and, it, and more importantly, it would require to work so much more investment and architecture of, 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 uh, of social and community uh, 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 organization and, 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 and like a safety net. Like, the cops, you can, when you drop the, when you cut out the safety net and everyone falls into the pit of hell, that creates social problems that have to be dealt with at the state level. What policing and prisons do is mean that you can just write a check every year and forget about it. You don't have to intervene in the economy in any way. You don't have to regulate the markets in any way. The thing will be taken care of by the application of as much police force as is necessary to maintain property values. If they don't have that ability, if they can't throw everybody in jail, and they can't intimidate everybody with guns, shit, maybe you actually have to invest some money into maintaining communities so that they don't fucking become, uh, they get a situation where people are radically alienated from the community, from the sense of morality, and willing to do anything to survive. Or just not even caring about your fucking moral concepts, because what have they ever gained them in a country rich with fucking plenty? Because... And I think that's the thing that people who shy away from concrete demands miss, is that a demand is not ever by itself. It always has things that are embedded within it and assumptions and necessities around it that spiral out from it. And a reduced, reduced disarmed police force that is essentially social work uh, workers, well, that's going to require either a shit ton more social workers or a shit ton more uh, social services for people who need social workers. Either way, you have changed the distribution of resources in the country. You have empowered, genuinely, as in given people more control over their lives and what jobs they can do and what jobs they can seek and what, 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 what lives to pursue. 
at the at the low at the at the lowest and most economically disadvantaged parts of society. Instead of just shoveling more money at cops and ignoring the problem, because that's the only way that we have convinced ourselves that uh, that the state can function. Because if you think you can just do that one thing and it's not going to have knock-on effects, then you don't understand how these things work. And you have, because, pro frankly, probably because you've been arguing online too much, you idealize and isolate all ideas and all policies as opposed to seeing them all inherently intertwined. I kind of like it. I don't like the way it wings out in the back. My hair, someone said my hair looks nice, thank you. I do like that I still have a little quaff here, although it's going away. Bye-bye. Uh, Bye-bye. Uh, but, like, the way that it does this after a certain time, I don't know why, but my hair, like, curls out. I get these little guys here in the back, and it kind of looks silly. And I like it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I've been sitting at, like, Nicholson in the shining levels of hair loss for a few years now, and I'm crossing my fingers that I can hold on for a while, because, I mean, he looks good in that movie. Fuck everyone. He's a goddamn dime. Cop, the helicopters are out. I will say that the helicopters I've seen in, uh, Manhattan, in Brooklyn are not nearly as low as the ones in D.C. were that other night. I will not be doing anything to my hair. I will not be shaving it, and I will not be uh, applying any sort of uh, chemical or drug to it. Uh, here I stand, I can do no other. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wither away. Part of my broader, uh, my broader plan to come to terms with uh, my finitude, with my own, my own insignificance, my own my own temporary nature. Uh, I don't even know what Iglesias is saying, I don't care. At this point, I have stopped caring completely about all op-ed writers, uh, all journalists, really, of any kind, all commentators, all podcasters, uh, everyone is squawking from the sidelines. Everyone is justifying their own inaction or justifying the state's uh, actions. Either way, uh, pay no mind list. To the degree that I don't have to, that I don't have to talk about it on the show, I'm, I try not to think too much about this shit. have an embarrassment kink? Don't you have to be embarrassed for it to be kinky? I'm not embarrassed.
Yeah, Matt, Matt Iglesias. Yeah. I'm sorry if I did not make that clear. Someone was asking about Matt Iglesias. I don't care. I don't care with that egg-headed fuck. The only thing I care about Matt Iglesias is, is that I, when people f say we look alike, which, thankfully, since he shaved... He, he, he took the coward's way out when he went bald, and he shaved his head, unlike me. Uh, so now we don't look anywhere near alike. But we don't even have the same head shape. I have a nice, broad, fucking, middle European uh, peasant square head. And he's got a perfect oval. They're completely different heads. That's interesting. Uh, strategy of tension in Italy. Um, I, I, the thing, the thing that I think is different about that whole deal is that the strategy of tension was part of a decades-long program to keep the Communist Party out of power in Italy. There is no similar threat now. And before the Floyd uh, murder, there was no real, even looming threat of a left-wing mobilization of any kind on, along any axis. So, unless you're thinking that there's some uh, some like scheme to justify a crackdown, then I don't see the point. Although, honestly, I am very skeptical of all that because the nature of this thing is that it doesn't need excuses for anything. When a necessity emerges, we have so foreclosed other possibilities that we do it. Like, look what happened with the COVID. Oh shit, our service economy, our service-based economy has, has been destroyed because we all have to stay indoors. What do we do? Well, we could redirect economic resources outside of markets. No. Not even a possibility. Not, no one in any level of power would even think it. And more importantly, very few people on the ground would consider it either. So that means there's no need to justify doing that. And that means if the next crisis comes along and the next brutally horrible, um, inhumane practice, like the one that has already left 100,000 people dead and is probably going to lead to millions dead in this country within a year, uh, that was signed off on without anybody even arguing it. Even in the August New York Times. This is why, oh my God, jerk me off for eternity with the New York Times. The robust, we need the robust uh, marketplace of ideas. Was anybody in the New York Times suggesting, hey, maybe we don't have to uh, go, maybe we, maybe we can suspend the economy for a minute? Maybe we can ex uh, experiment with, with not commodifying everything every moment of the day since we can't, create, we literally can't create economic uh, activity right now? No, didn't appear anywhere. Which means when the next thing comes on, it says, well, now we have to sterilize the, ho uh, the homeless or something. It'll be framed as a necessity because we've already foreclosed all alternatives. So you don't need to push it along. You don't need to create a crisis to justify something. Every crisis justifies the response because the alternative has been destroyed, both practically Vincent Bevins talked to this talked very well about this the way the Cold War existed to destroy alternatives to capitalism uh, and ideologically growing out of that reality so that's why unless I see like concrete evidence I don't buy any of this shit about about provocation now individual provocation in individual cases like cops breaking windows and cops uh, cops burning their own uh, vehicles yeah for sure because they think okay That'll justify it, but that's in the context of a protest in, uh, that's already occurring. It's not creating it. And even then, it's small time. It's some fucking hot dog neck moron thinking, oh, I'm going to smash the window, and then I'm going to get to 
uh, waterboard somebody. Pay no mind. Idiot. Am I worried about the protests being co-opted? Yeah, of course. And a lot of people are pointing to D-Ray and Obama co-opting it and all these awful brands tweeting their support as proof that it's not a threat. But all that proves is that they're fucking scared and they feel the need to protect themselves. They feel the need to protect themselves from anything that might come from this. Because the other way around, the idea of like, well, because these brands are saying this is good, that means it's not a threat to them. That necessitates them having some degree of control as opposed to them responding to a new situation and trying to cover their asses because they don't know what's going to happen. And they want to stay clean. They want to make sure that nobody's pissed at them. And of course they're going to do that, but it doesn't mean it's, it, it, it's only going to be as effective as we let it. That, that strategy of co-optation and, and, uh, and reduction and, and moving away from radicalness and being, moving away specifically from economic concerns, uh, that'll work to the degree that we allow it to. So, assuming ahead of time that it's all going to fail, assuming ahead of time that it's all been co-opted, assuming ahead of time that oh, all it did was they they uh, took they gave the cops like net guns and now you know half of them are are, are Blackwater, uh, that might happen. But it's and and frankly, even if it does, in that happening, we could still create durable institutions that have an ability down the line in further points of conflict and further points of crisis of asserting a new unified opposition. Like, the potential is there in every moment. The potential is there in every moment. And that is what is lost online. Because you're not in a moment. You're in a, you're in a realm of ideas. And in a realm of ideas, you can create a perfect model of what's going to happen based on what's happening in front of you. Well, because of X, Y, and Z, uh, then Q, R, and X are going to happen. But that forgets that between those two points in time, a bunch more things are going to happen that you can't predict that aren't in your model and that are going to change the conditions. So that's why all this stuff get only gets worked out in the streets and everybody trying to fucking gamify it ahead of time to protect themselves so that they don't get their hopes up, so they don't look like they're, they care too much, so that they don't get cringy, uh, is on a fool's errand. They're deluding themselves really more than anything. Because time is the element that's missing from all internet fucking conf uh, political argument. Time. Events happening over time. Mo events happening, changing conditions, creating new events that were not predicted by the original set of conditions that then create new conditions that then, at every point, moving you further and further away from the model that you created of events that was frozen and fixed and not moving through time. And that is the dialectical process, because that is part of the, one of the big dialectical uh, pressures is between time and, uh, obviously, ideas and matter, but also time and space. Things not only in themselves, but things through time. Things change through time by entropy and by uh, chaotic uh, interposition of other objects. God damn. I'm on the LaGuardia flight path, but this has been more robust than usual, I have to say.
Yeah, like the degree to which people can uh, find out that they have that they can depend on one another, and that they that like their armoredness and their isolation and their misery can be alleviated, alleviated, and that by helping other people, they find that they have helped themselves, and vice versa, and that those connections, what they do is they create they create an incentive to maintain connection, and then over time, trust, which is the basis for all organizing along all. Uh, uh, the reason that they say everything has to be a market relationship, the reason that libertarians and neoliberals have insisted that all relationships must be market-based, it's because the assumption is that all of us are isolated from one another inherently and completely. But that is a, that's an imposition. That, that, they, that is not the condition of humanity. That is the condition of humanity in the specific matrix of late capitalism that we live in. Now that makes it hard to break away and it means that a lot of, that means that your attempts to resist it are going to be contained within a neoliberal framework because that's what you grew up with and that's all you've known but a bunch of people together doing that at the same time like i said changes conditions the greater the pressure the greater the conditions are 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 shifted and that gives breathing space and that gives moments where you can refine oh i am not a monad we're not all isolated in fact, that's an insane idea. My sense of self and worth cannot it's not self-generated by 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 posting my way to an identity. It's by finding myself in a context of other actual people and giving and taking in equal measure. And then getting back as you give and finding that it is a virtuous cycle of engagement where you gain trust and you gain affection and you gain purpose and you gain the ability to organize and strategize because you don't have to get through all those baffles, those layers of who is this person? What are, where are they from? What's their agenda here? Are they a neolib? Are they, uh, are they, are they a Nazi? Are they, uh, are they woke? All that, all, all that happens is because that, that, tr that, that veil exists because we only know each other virtually. And over time you'll figure out, oh, this person's for real. This person's full of shit. Then you just stop dealing with that person and you deal with the people who aren't full of shit and then holy shit, there's more of them. All right, wrapping up here. Uh, you guys got a couple more questions I could answer. I mean, the per someone is disagreeing with me about predicting the future. Buddy, I'm not gonna stop. I always end up fucking, I always end saying, I'm not gonna predict things, and then somebody asks me a question and I go off on a fucking tangent, I write a Harry Turtledove novel. I, trust me, I know that it's impossible not to do it, and then it helps you think, but it only helps you think to the degree that you can reel it in and maintain, um, maintain a, a, a real clear-eyed sense of the, the fluidity of the moment. I will be grilling soon. It's going to be storming, I guess, the next couple of nights. I would have grilled tonight, but yeah, because like I came out and it was nice and sunny, and it's already getting... They say it's going to storm all night. There's a tropical depression coming. So when the tropical depression is over, though, the grill is set. I'm going to do it. I've got everything. I've got a steak. I'm going to throw that puppy on there. So I promise that. Next nice day, uh, when I know it's not going to rain, 
there will be a grill stream. Uh, and I, I guarantee you it will be anticlimactic. Because after all this talk and all this memeing, it'll just be an asshole cooking a steak on a grill. Probably badly, realistically. It probably won't be very good. I've never done it before. I'll probably ask for advice from the more experienced grillers in the chat. Uh, and maybe that, maybe we can crowd, crowd, we can crowd uh, coordinate our way to, crowd cook our way to a decent steak. All right, I'm probably going to sign off here in one minute. Very done. I got to go eat, get some food, and get indoors because it's definitely going to rain. It's a grill. It's it's a it's a it's a Weber. It's a, it's it's the it's the big kettle. Charcoal. I got charcoal. I'm good. All right, guys. I will notice, though, that since the protest started, the clapping has stopped. And it really does tell you something about how people wanted to feel useful. People wanted to feel like they were doing something good while they were stultifying. And now there's something else to do. And this need, that needs this impotent need, goes away. It really does show the degree to which we fixate and gravitate towards empty gestures to alleviate a sense of powerlessness. But the only thing that alleviates powerlessness is seizing or attempting, moving towards taking power or at least challenging existing power. Formalized, ritualized actions uh, will never do it. And that's why nobody's clapping right now because they've been out there. At least a lot of them. I know I've seen them come and go into Barclays because I live very close to the basically the epicenter. So I've been out there a couple nights, and there are there's people are like flowing like a river. So no more clapping in your house. Now we're clapping in the streets, and that's much better because the cops don't give a shit if you clap in your house, but they will fucking kick your face in if the, you clap too much in the streets. All right, folks, stay frosty. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.